Welcome to another episode of Culinary School Stories, the weekly podcast that is dedicated to sharing the stories of people around the globe whose lives have been influenced, impacted, touched, and or enriched, for good or for bad, from their culinary school experience. Hi, my name is Colin Roach and I'm your host. Thanks for joining us today. You are an important part of this show where we ask the question, what's your culinary school story? So now, without any further delay, let's meet today's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 3 of the Culinary School Stories Podcast, a proud member of the Food Media Network. And if you have not yet subscribed to the show, please do so. It is free, and we would love to have you as part of our community. You can follow the show and subscribe for free through your favorite podcast app or through our website, at www.culinaryschoolstories.com, which is also where we store all of the podcast's past episodes and our guests' bios and their contact information. So be sure to check it out. So now let's meet today's guest, who has a slightly different culinary school story to share with us today. John Michael Collins, thanks for being here with us today and sharing your culinary journey. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Great. So you attended and graduated from DC Central Kitchen's Culinary Job Training Program, which for over 30 years has helped men and women launch culinary careers. And, and I was reading on their website, their motto is, we care about our students' potential much more than their pasts. And they work to prepare adults facing high barriers to employment for careers in the food service industry. So before we talk about, you know, your experience at the DC Central Kitchen and what brought you there, maybe you could talk about your past that led you up to this job training and where you are now. Uh, you know, my past is, is probably, you know, not one that I share with many. Um, but I, you know, throughout my career, I've seen several that have had similar pasts. Um, I actually found food by sheer accident. Um, I had made um, a series of events that happened in my life that um, led me to make a lot of mistakes. And I ended up serving some time um, in federal lockup mm. and found, you know, food there. I um, I got into a little bit of trouble and had to do some work in the kitchen and found I actually kind of liked it in there. And I stayed and I worked my way from the dish pit into prep cooking, into the bakery, into the uh, line cooking, and, and just really kind of found that I really loved that style. And while I was there, there were culinary classes to take. Um, that taught us the different way of cooking food, um, taught us about serve safe and got us serve safe certified, as well as baking classes. Um, when it came time for me to actually leave, um, they found out that I was going to DC and my baking instructor told me, when you get there, you need to look up DC Central Kitchen. They will help prepare you for a job. And, you know, in this arena, this is what you really want to do, which I hope it is because you're very talented. 
Wow. So did you have any experience before you went to prison and started the food? I mean, did you have anything previous or no? Um, yeah, watching my grandmother cook. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was basically my own experience was watching, you know, my grandparents raised me, you know, from the age of 12 and just watching her cook. I mean, that was the only, you know, and I loved her food. So it was the only real experience I had. Did she let you help? Did you go in there and get your hands dirty and do some bacon uh, you, with her? You know, I, I helped make a mess is what I <laughs> 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 you know, I, I got to lick the bowl for the, you know, we, we were making cakes and, and, but it was basically, she did all the work. I just kind of observed and, and made a mess and she just loved having me around. Right. So. right. Did, now, did you have a, a, a love of a certain cuisine growing up or was it just more grandma's home style cooking? Well, I mean, yeah, I was born and raised in San Diego. So, I mean, there was a lot of Hispanic influence and I spent a lot of time in, in Mexico and Tijuana mm -hmm. and stuff. So, I mean, you know, I, I kind of didn't really graduate to foods that have that type of flavor and have that type of flair, even though, you know, now in my current setting, I'm learning all sorts of different cuisines and things are just, you know, expounding. I, I am being introduced to foods. Um, and when I say that, I mean, like fruits and vegetables that I didn't even know existed on this planet, let alone what they tasted like or what they look like or how to prepare them. And it's just been this wonderful journey with the, all these oohs and all moments of learning stuff that's new and, and figuring out what food really is and how to connect food to people. And in turn, can, that connection just brings joy. You know, it's, it's amazing how, you know, I have found just preparing food for somebody and watching their face change as they experience not only just the smells and the look and, and the flavor, but just watch their spirit come alive. It, it's just amazing and brings so much joy to my life. That's so great that you could, you know, find food later on in life, you know, and now it's become your career and your passion. And that's great. What was your, um, what was your, um, you know, career? What were you doing before you found food? Is there any interrelation between the two? I mean, were you artistic? How, how did that come about? You know, the whole thing was, is growing up, a lot of my friends were artistic. They could draw, they could paint, they could sing, they could play instruments. And I thought I had no artistic ability at all. Zero. <laughs> I, you know, my best drawing is a stick figure and it doesn't even look like <laughs> the right stick figure. You know, I try to paint and it looks just kind of like blah. You know, everything just kind of melts together. And, you know, I... I didn't. I mean, you know, I found that I really loved connecting with people. Hmm. And um, I connected with people in some very um, less than attractive ways, I guess you could say. Um, you know, I, there's that quote that's by, you know, um, I can't remember the quote. Um, it doesn't matter. Um, but, you know, it's like the kitchen is a last refuge for everybody. And 
people in the kitchen, we, we don't care about what's happened to you. What we care about is where you're going and what's going on with you right now. I have found such a sense of family in the kitchen that it's, and I didn't think it would really be there. I mean, you know, Andrew Bodine was so correct in, in everything that he did and what he said about, you know, the kitchen and the hospitality industry. And it makes me, you know, my, my family is gone. I'm all by myself now. And I have the sense of, you know, people who actually really care about me and they want to see me succeed and they want to see me do better. And everybody is so willing to help. You know, all I need to do is just ask the question, what, you know, what are you making? You know, explain that to me. Why are we doing this this way? You know, um, right now we are getting ready to open a brand new restaurant in the hotel I'm at with a brand new concept. And it's something that not very many people get to experience it, nor get to be part of. And as a cook one, I mean, very few cook ones actually get to be an active role in this. And it's it's crazy that a few of my recipes are making it to the opening menu. That's great. And several of my recipes are on standby in case some of the recipes they picked to make it don't make it. And that's at the Ritz-Carlton? Yes. Great. And we had the corporate chef come in and he was helping us with a photo shoot and everything. And we've been plating um, some uh, shrimp sakunaki a, a certain way. And he changed the plating on it. And I looked at him and, you know, and I, I said, why are we plating it like this? And he gave me this weird look. And I think he, at first he thought I was challenging him as to why would you do it like this? And I looked at him, I said, I'm not trying to challenge you. It's just the fact that I'm learning plating right now and I'm trying to learn how to do it better and you're changing it. And so I'm trying to understand why you're changing it so that I can get better at this. Sure. And his whole face just changed. And he says, oh, well, let me explain it to you. In fact, sit here and let me show you how we're going to change some of these and why we're changing them. And it was just, it was like this moment of like, you know, he was so happy that somebody was taking an interest and wanted to learn, you know, because I think he's probably gotten so far away from that because being the corporate chef that it's just like, this is what you know we're going to do. And, and people just kind of follow right, underneath. Right, right. And nobody really goes, well, why? <laughs> I want yeah. to learn. Critical thinking. I need to learn. <laughs> but it was interesting that you mentioned that you find a family. And that, that's the basis of this, you know, industry we're in. You know, it's hospitality. And we, we mm. open arms and we welcome our guests. But we also do the same with people that we work with. You know, it's as you mentioned, the past is the past. And, you know, everybody has problems and mistakes, but we're going forward and, and it's the here and now. And what are we going to do to do what we can do best for our guests? Right. And then, and, and really that's all I, you know, when I go into work, I try to put everything aside and it's like, you know, I'm here to serve the guests and whatever the guests want, and I'm, I'm going to do my best to give it to them. And if that means, you know, sometimes we have servers that English is not their first language and the guest English is not their first language either. Right. <laughs> and the guest is trying to explain to the server what they really want. And the server comes back and talks to me and explaining to me what the guests want. And I'm like looking at them going, that makes absolutely no sense at all. <laughs> 
you can't even cook it that way. So let me go out and talk to the guests and let me figure yeah, it out yeah. what they really want. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and I do so, and then, you know, and it's, it, it's just, a, you know, when I, and then I'll take the food out to them and just watch them. And they're like, oh, this is exactly what I wanted. And I'm like, well, I'm glad, <laughs> oh, you know, I hope you enjoyed If there's anything else I could do, just tell the server to come back and get me. That's great. Now, uh, I notice people that are listening to the podcast, they're not going to be able to see this, but if they do watch it on YouTube, they will get the visual. But behind you, you have some food. Um, maybe you could explain what that picture is in your backdrop. And is that part of the new menu that you were just speaking about? Actually, this is part of the old menu. Okay. Um, and we were um, doing more of a, a steakhouse at the time. And it is a hanger steak um, that is is cooked rare. Um, and has some rosemary butter over the hanger steak, uh, and it's accompanied with truffle fries and black garlic aioli. Our new concept is a Mediterranean concept, and it's a whole new uh, learning curve for me. I'm having to learn a whole new palette of flavors sure. and, and, and seasoning that I didn't even Half the time, I can't even pronounce what the seasoning is, you know? <laughs> but I'm getting the flavors down that, you know, it's like, okay, that's what this tastes like. And how do I marry this together with something else to, to come up with this panache of a flavor that just explodes in your mouth, you know, from, from the tongue all the way to the back of your throat and giving you this sensation of, you know, fireworks going off. Yeah. Well, you can definitely hear the, the the happiness and the passion in your voice and what you're going through as this you know as a cook one and, and and the all excitement that you're getting in this career and the food and getting exposed to products and spices and and food items that you've you know maybe never seen before so why don't we transition right into your your training can you know i was looking on the website here about the dc central kitchen and uh you know it's renowned it's a you know career readiness and internships for adults and they say it's a 14 week course offered at, you know that they train they give you credentials and that thanks to generous donations all students receive full scholarships to attend the programs there's no cost through the training and you know they support them all the way through so it sounds like an awesome program maybe you could tell again that chef introduced you to it how did you go through the application process was there interviews how did you get involved what was what was going through your mind when you first got accepted you know it was it was really crazy because at first you know even though i made it to dc and i was in the the halfway house of dc i didn't want to be here i wanted to be back home in california and i kind of fought it for a few months and finally um nothing was transpiring and i just I, I said, heck with it, you know, this is where I'm supposed to be, obviously, because nothing's moving. I can't make it move. Um, let me look at this DC Central Kitchen that everybody is talking, you know, talk to me about. And I called them up and, you know, they um, told me I needed to come in and fill out some paperwork and everything. And I went in and I filled it out. And I, um, they went through an interview process um, where they reviewed my application. It was almost like a job, really. Mm -hmm. um, they asked me a lot of questions about my past um, and about where I was going and what brought me to food and um, 
there was there was some questions about um, some stability, and at that point, I just decided I was going to do whatever it took to get in there. Hmm. That you know, and the, the social there was a in my interview it was the um, intake coordinator um, Lachelle and the um, social worker. Um, who's left there, but and the social worker is the one who, who had some concerns. She wanted to make sure that if I started this, I was going to be able to finish it. And um, I, 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 I told her, what, what do I need to prove to you? Hmm. Just tell me what I need to do and I will do it. You know, and she gave me a list of things that she wanted me to do. And I did them. And I, she told me I had like two or three weeks to get them done. I got them done in like three days. <laughs> what are some of the what are the some of the things she wanted you to do? Like, well, she wanted she wanted me to make sure that I had a therapist. Okay, that it, you know because I was coming from being incarcerated for so long and into the uh, public, and she wanted to make sure that I had a therapist in place that as things came up, I had somebody to talk to. Uh, okay, and that I would process these feelings coming through and that was you know that was basically what she was really wanting out of me and because she could see that there was probably going to be a little bit of bumps in the road down the way and she wanted to make sure that i was going to be safe the whole t- way through because they probably they probably want to make sure people complete right and there's maybe limited spaces right. I and mean, now it's, it's it's no cost so there is money and resources involved well there there is a cost i mean it, the cost is not to me is not to the to the student, right? But there's a cost to somebody. But the cost is to you know that my class was um, sponsored by a couple. They were um, both retired, and they sponsored the whole class. Wow! They paid for the tuition for the whole class, and so if I don't complete, they still have to pay. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, and you know the other thing is you know uh, there are other companies that that sponsor. Um, like Marriott sponsors a lot of classes and sponsors the whole class. Mm. And it's not just that they're sponsoring, you know, the, you know, paying for the instructors and paying for the food that we are preparing, you know, learning how to prepare um, and paying for our uniforms and paying for our books and paying for our certifications because you know we're, we're certified in you know in SurfSafe and Alatrain, and there's another certificate that we get, um, and I, I can't remember it off the top of my head. But there's costs involved, right? There's this, you know, but there's lots of different costs sure. involved, and and not only are they paying for that, but we're getting a stipend every week oh. to make sure that we can get to and from class. They're giving us some cash. So that we can actually, you know, get on whatever means of transportation, you know, be it the bus, be it the train, if you have a car that you have gas to put in your car so that we can get to school every day. So they're giving you all the tools and resources that you need to be successful. Everything that we need, including knives, you know, so it's just, it's, it's, just one of those things that they want to make sure that we're going to be successful 
all the way through. So then you get in. What do they do? They send you a, a admissions letter, or a, what do they do? They, how do they let you know? Well, we, you know, we, not so much an admissions letter. I mean, we're called and we're told that we were accepted. That, um, that what part of the process that I'm not involved in, or the student is not involved in, is after they've get, gotten all these applicants um, and everything, then they sit down as a group and they decide who's going to fit where hmm. is this person ready do we need to have them wait um this person dropped out of the last class and we want to bring them back and they're ready now um so are we going to make room for them and once all of that is has been set in stone then we're called and told what day to show up for class is there a waiting list is you know is people waiting to get in or is it pretty much everyone gets in that wants to i, I think it Times there is, mm-hmm. but to be honest with you, um, that was not my experience. Okay. But I know that some people, their experience has been that they've been put on a waiting list, but that wasn't mine. Okay. So now you, they tell you the day to show up. You go, and what do you do? You get your uniforms. You get knives. You get a tour. How does that? Well, go? we the first day that we show up, it's just crazy. Um, we're, we're told how to, how to, you know, we got to be in street clothes. And in fact, we're in street clothes for the first two weeks because the first week they're, they're checking to make sure we're going to be there. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning of the second week, they actually take our sizes, um, shoe size, jacket size, pant size and everything. Um, and then they order the uniforms. Okay. So by the second week, then we have our uniforms. But the first day, we've got all our books. They've given us every single book um, that we need, including nail clippers to make sure our nails stay (laughs) the way they're supposed to stay, Um, files, pens, paper, and everything. And our first class that we go to is self-empowerment. And when when I went to this class, my first thought was, what has this got to do with anything to do with cooking (laughs) (laughs) this man is telling me i'm gonna need to tell some of my deepest darkest secrets to a room full of people that not only do i not know (laughs) i don't know if i care to know these people (laughs) you know and it, it just, you know it's just one of those you know i i i wear glasses you know um and I would look at him over the top of my glasses, and it, his name was uh, uh, Jeff Rustin, and he's still there to this day. And uh, you know, and he he's always so happy to see me or to hear from me and to hear the adventures I'm going through. But he always says, "You know, Mr. John Michael would look over his glasses at me like, <laughs> oh, you got to be kidding! I am not telling you that.'" <laughs> So how did it end? Did it? Did it? Did it? Did he turn you around by the end of the class? Was it? Oh, he turned me around. Uh, you know, it went from that was my least favorite class to being the most empowering class that I learned wow. that I did have power. Wow! And that people did not walk all over me, and it was okay for me to say no. And it was the trauma I went through as a child was okay. Not that it was okay I went through it, mm-hmm. but it, it was okay because other people went through the same thing. Because when I started talking about mine, yeah, other people started talking about theirs, 
And it bonded us together because now we had something that not only were we, were we learning how to be a family, but we were bonding together that I see these people all the time, all around the city. And they, they come up to me and tell me, hello, how are you? I know their kids, you know, and their kids love me. And it's just, it's one of those things that, that was probably the most empowering thing I've ever done for myself. Wow. And I, you know, it's, it, I almost think that no matter what school you're going to be it traditional or be it like the, one of these job training programs, it's a class you need because we need to just know that these things are okay, that they happened and they're part of our past and in the, you know, and they don't have to be part of our future. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I think it's important because I believe we all have gone through some form of trauma somewhere in our life. And some of us have just been a lot better at hiding it than others. And it could just be a much better world if we learned how to face the trauma and move through it to make it part of our past and help us strengthen us to the future. Sounds like a powerful class and a good one to start off with. It's needed to be started off, right? It gives you that, like you said, the bond, that family, that trust to get to know each other and you're ready to go in and now have an open mind and start learning and put that baggage and stuff behind you. Right. Because that baggage is what really kind of got me into federal lockup was that baggage Hmm. of me trying to fill that void with other things um, that I didn't get, you know, and that I was afraid of. And it, it just, it, it, it helps propel me further. And I think that's, that's why I've gone as far as I have as quickly as I have. I mean, I've only really been, you know, with the pandemic, I've really only been cooking in the industry for two, two and a half years. Mm. And I started off as a cook three and I just got through applying for positions as a sous chef. And I'm in the middle of the interview process and tastings for those. So, you know, I, I really believe it's because of that class. It's it's allowed me to go this far. That's great. So how long were you in lockup and how much of that time did you spend in the kitchen there getting experience? Um, I was in lockup for seven and a half years. And um, I was getting experience probably for maybe seven years of that. Wow. So you got a good foundation at least, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, literally I started off in the dish pit and, you know, and, and, and cleaning dishes and scrubbing pots and pans and, and then moving into a server position and serving the food and then moved back into bakery and um, working with them and prep cooking Mm -hmm. and learning how to cut and how to, you know, and then, finally getting my feet wet with the, with cooking and, you know, and moving around from, from one um, prison to another. All right. Um, you kind of have to get your feet wet all over again in each kitchen because each one of them is, is it, it, it's just, you know, they don't know you. They already have a hierarchy too, right? So you're not going to come in and. Right. There's a very, there's a hierarchy in there. And I have seen people get into that hierarchy that didn't know how to cook and were run out of the kitchen. 
You know, it's <laughs> one thing, you, you know, it's like they, they always said, there's two things that you don't mess with with prisoners. One is their TV and the other one's their food. <laughs> <laughs> how is how is the food in prison? Can you share that with the listeners? Is it, it you know, the food is actually it's decent. Yeah. It, you know, and, and you know, we're given we're not given a whole lot to work with. So you really need to learn and get and develop a palate of flavor because they'll give us whatever seasoning we want. But you you know, basically, you know, it's fish on Friday, you know, lasagna. On uh, Wednesday, right, right, psycho menu. You know, it's a it's a pretty standard menu, and you know, and it, it's it's when we can, you know, when we we learn how to uh, to marry flavors together because they'll give us whatever seasoning we ask for, and sometimes you know, and we get some really kind of strange things because you know there may be some train that goes a rail somewhere, and there's a bunch of seasoning and a bunch of cooking stuff you know, and meat and everything on that train. And the government gets it at a very reduced price. Wow. And then they just kind of like filter it through the system. And um, so we got some really kind of unusual things that kind of floated through. Now, can everyone eat whatever they want? Or do they, are they rationed how much you get? Or do you have to like sneak an apple out the back door? <laughs> they, they do ration. They do figure out how much, you know, it's like this should be the portion size. And this is how many um, prisoners you're cooking for. And this is, you know, what you're going to do. And so, I mean, I, I worked my way from like, um, would have been a cook for there. Um, and I worked my way up to a cook two position and slash cook one. Um, because at the, when I was at the very end of it, I was at a camp and um, the camp was connected to a USP, which is a maximum security prison. And every time that that prison would go on lockdown, um, the camp would come over and cook for the prisoners while they were um, locked in their cells. And I would go over as a cook, too, and run the kitchen. Is that because the cooks that were in the kitchen were prisoners and they had to be in lockdown so nobody could cook? So they had to bring in another crew to do the meal prep. Right. They had to bring in a whole other crew to, um, to help. And so... I would, you know, sometimes, you know, because of the camp being the way that it was, we'd have people who didn't know how to cook. And so I'd go over there and have to show them how to cook very quickly and how to put things together. And then there was an officer's mess over there and I would cook for all the officers. So we were cooking for over 1,500 um, inmates and over 300 guards. Wow. Um, that I was cooking for daily. Now you said that they assigned you that job. You get, do you get to pick your jobs like laundry, cooking? You have to do a job, right? And do you pick, or they assign you? You've got to do a job, and, and you know, and they don't. The only job they really do assign is like if you can't go in there and find a job, you, you're told to find a job. Like if you want to work in plumbing, and you have plumbing experience, then you need to go apply for the plumbing department go talk to the the ceo that's in charge if you want to be in laundry you need to go talk to the laundry people if you want to be a clerk you need to talk to you know and you got to but if you can't find a job and you're not excused from working because of some disability that you may have um you're put on yard work that you <laughs> you're basically <laughs> out there you're sweeping the yard up you're picking up trash and, wow. you know and everything and so that was so what's pretty the, much 
What's the pecking order? Is kitchen pretty high up on the list? Does everybody want to get in the kitchen? Kitchen is not high up on the list, you know, surprisingly. It, it, kitchen Do you think is- you'd have some perks in there? Do you have perks like the best food or more food? Or You don't really have, you know, you do get some perks. I mean, you know, I, I, I was good with baking and, and um, every yard that I went to, I was always considered the candy man because I could make candy out of nothing. Oh. <laughs> I could I could make you some peanut butter cups that you would have sworn came right from Reese's <laughs> and, and they didn't. And you know, and it just um uh, you know the perks were, you know, it's like I would I could get in the kitchen, I could bake cookies, and and some of the CEOs would let me leave with cookies, let me leave with cinnamon rolls, and I would take them out to the yard and I would sell them, and that was my hustle. Oh. It's selling all these sweets that you couldn't get in commissary. That you couldn't, you know, normally get it that, you know, that would, and working in the kitchen gave me those perks to be able to do that. And actually, because I had no family, I mean, that was my only source of income. Right. Because they pay it so well. <laughs> I mean, as, as a cook too, I made 17 cents an hour. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> you get a lot of overtime? <laughs> oh, there is no overtime. overtime. No time and a half. <laughs> No time in the house. You know, they figure, you know, they're, they're, they're boarding you. They're feeding you. They're, they're housing you. They're, um, you know, giving you medical care. All that is, you know, 17 cents is what you're worth. <laughs> now, why is the kitchen not high up? Is this because people don't like cooking? Is it hard? They got to clean or they just never don't expose to it? Uh, well, I mean, it, 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 it really is a hard job. I'm looked over like all the time. Um, yeah, there it's a, it's a, you go into, you know, some of these, you know, the, a camp is much easier. It's much op- more open, but when you're in a, a low or a medium or a high security, you are locked in your room. If you're, if you're the butcher, you're locked in that butcher room so that, you know, because you've got knives uh-huh. and when that, when that door opens, um, you have to check your knife before that door opens. It, it has to be, you know, secured and put away. Um, and it, it can be, you know, your hours can be a little, you know, you don't have as much freedom because you're basically going from a lock cell into a locked cage. Hmm. And, you know, it's just, it, it's, you know, um, you really need to, I, I found that I loved it. So it made it easier for me. Right, right. Sure. I could see that now. Um do they have to go through a certain security to work in the kitchen because of those knives? Do they have like, no anybody can go in? It's because you're in you're in there. It's so you're 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 in there and and everything else. So it's just you know it's one of those things that you know and it's 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 unusual because each part of the kitchen is controlled by a different group. You know you you have all and I don't even want to say you know because it's not really a gang, but it's you know you've got the the air you know. Aryan Brotherhood controls basically the cooking part of the kitchen. Wow. Um, the um, dish room is normally controlled by um, the Hispanics. The um, bakery is normally controlled um, by uh, Pacific Islanders. Um, it's like each group has their their own part that they they kind of manage. And being a white gay male. I was at the bottom of that back in order. And I really, I had to be good to make it through. Wow. You know, each one of those groups learned how to respect me 
and how to um, admire what I could really bring to the table because it's it just, it was, it was unheard of for somebody of my caliber to actually really be in the cooking part of it. I really had to prove I, I could be there and that I should be there and that I was trustworthy enough to be there. So you didn't automatically get in because of a member of that no. group. No, you no. had to prove your worth to get into those positions. I had to prove my 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 myself um, to that, and you know it's crazy. You know, it's like I, I've had some friends that I have maintained from some friendships um, since prison, and um, one of them is this one guy, and he calls me up occasionally. He's got um, he he's got some friends that go through some troubles and everything. And he calls me up and he says, you know, I've got another friend that's going through something. Can you help him out? Can you just talk to him and tell him what about your experience and how you did things? Because I think you can really help this person. Mm. And um, that's because he's going into prison and just kind of give him a roadmap of what to expect. It wasn't so much that he's going, these people aren't in prison. Uh They're just, they're just having hard times with life. Mm. And, you know, I don't know what made me this beacon of a person that people want to come to and talk to, but, <laughs> you know, it, it, it is what it is. Well, that's good. I mean, that, that they, they seek you out and that they, you know, they value your opinion and your advice and, and guidance. So maybe it's, it's part of that empowerment. Okay. At this halfway point in the show, I want to take a quick pause and tell you about an amazing opportunity from one of the industry leaders in culinary and hospitality online education. Whether you are an individual looking to get more training in the front or back of the house that is documented through assessment and certification, or are a small or large hospitality business owner looking to find an effective and legitimate educational training institution that will provide your employees quick easy and affordable operational training, well then, the Pineapple Academy is for you. The Pineapple Academy is the premier provider of online education in the areas of food service training that is designed for both front and back of the house frontline workers in the restaurant and hospitality industries. Their current curriculum includes a variety of topics to fulfill your personal training needs, such as knife skills, food safety, customer service, cleaning and sanitation, and so much more. And during this time where staffing is a concern for everyone, their training programs provide an easy and affordable way for hospitality businesses and individuals to manage and implement a high-class training program. And as someone who has taken several of their training courses, I can honestly say that they are always focusing on the needs of their customers and the industry while constantly adding to their training library. They offer food service training solutions for individuals and businesses of any size in either an individual or a group training format, depending on your specific needs. Their training is designed to be fast, effective, and an easy way to get real-world, practical knowledge for yourself or your team. And it is the perfect tool to onboard new team members and standardize your training. And the best news is you can get started for as little as $9.99 a month with their personal plan or $14.99 a month for their business plan. They also have custom options available for businesses as well. And you can try it for free before you buy because today I am including a custom link just for you in the show notes and description section of this episode, 
which will give you a 14-day free trial. So, what do you have to lose? Go and check out the Pineapple Academy today. I have really enjoyed their courses, and I know you will too. Okay, so now back to the show. So why don't we go back to DC Kitchen now? So um, you got there, you got accepted. You, your first two weeks, you're getting measured for your uniforms. They gave you the equipment. So what is your first, besides the empowerment and some of those type classes, what's your first lab class? What's your cooking class? What- our first lab class was, was you know, let's see, our first book class was, was about um, the utensils. You know, what the knives were. This is a chef knife. This is a paring knife. This is, you know, it, it was a lot of stuff I already knew and everything. And then when we actually got into the kitchen, the first thing that we were handed was a carrot. And we were told to dice it. Not shown how to dice, hmm. but just told to dice it. <laughs> wanted to see how you hold the knife. How you? Yeah, they, yeah, they wanted to see how you held the knife, how you um, took the carrot and would start breaking it down to, you know, and how precise your cuts were. And the instructor would walk around and he would stop people and he would correct the the way you held the knife. He would um, stop and correct the way that you stood. Because if you stand straight on, your cuts are gonna not going to be straight. But if you stand, you know, slouched, uh, adjacent, <laughs> you know, adjacent to it, you're going to have a, a cleaner knife. If, you, if you're standing straight up, you know, and then he would, you know, and it was just for two weeks. That's all we did is we cut potatoes and carrots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. In most culinary schools, they're going to start with those knife cuts, right? They're going to get all those vegetables out there, that mirepoix, and start chopping it and use those knife skills and learn the claw and all right. those type of typical things. Now, who are the instructors at the D.C.? Central Kitchen. Are they chefs from the industry? Are they culinary instructors that are there full time? Um, they're culinary instructors, um, and you know they've been in the industry. So they, you know, they, you know, some of them have had actual like executive chef positions, and now they're they're giving back. Others have just worked their way through the industry. Um, I remember uh, Chef T, who has left DC Central Kitchen. Loved him dearly. He, he, you know, he always had a good ear and was always very kind. And he's gone on to uh, a a literacy course where he's um, working with uh, adolescents and and making sure, you know, helping them, you know, increase their literacy Mm. and increase the district's literacy on, on whole. And, you know, it's just, it's amazing. You know, um, there was Chef Dean and, you know, he had, gone through his own troubles and now he's off doing something you know different but um chef dean is the thing that he taught me and i and i hold to this day of knowing how to do is he taught me how to make hollandaise sauce that was the first thing he taught me how to do Hmm. you know and i was good from the beginning and i think i'd never done it before and didn't even realize what hollandaise sauce really was i mean i knew it went on asparagus and i knew it went on you know poached eggs but to actually make it from scratch and, and and to you know learn what that flavor palette is supposed to taste like and how not to cook your egg. Right. <laughs> don't yeah. make scrambled eggs. Because <laughs> you don't want scrambled eggs. You want a nice sauce. <laughs> That's great. Now, is there a 
you progress. Is there a final in there that you have to for each course, or is it at the end of the program that you have to complete something or do a practical? There, there is a, there is a final. We're we're given, you know, we go through all the different meat cuts, you know, we go through eggs, we go through searing, we go through sautéing, making omelets. I mean, you know, it's just, it's all the basics. And then at the end, we are, and and towards the end, I should say, um, there is a cook-off that we have um, where they take the the students and they um, break us up into groups of four, or not four. Let me, let me back up. They break us up into four different groups and depend upon how many students there are, how many people are in the group. Our group just happened to have four okay. um, because our class had 16 people. And so we, um, we were in four groups of four and um, we have to come up for, with a name for ourselves. And um, they, we are given a dish to make. Um, and our dish was pot pies. And so each group had a different protein. There was the chicken, the beef, the um, there was an, uh, a pork, and then vegetarian. And my team got vegetarian. Mm. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, how the hell am I going to make a vegetarian pot pie from scratch <laughs> and get this thing to actually taste good? Because I'm like listening to all these other people. And our, our team came together and we, we broke everything off. And um, the judge that, you know, the judges that we have are, are cooks and chefs that are in the industry. And they came in and they judged not only just what we prepared, how, what it looked like and how it tasted, but how we presented it to each other. And um, they, they loved the presentation. And um, one of the guys that it, he told me that he had been vegetarian for decades and that he had just, you know, gone back to starting to eat meat. And he said, I couldn't believe that I wasn't eating meat when I ate yours. Wow. That's a compliment, huh? He said the flavor and the punch was there. And, um, and it came out later that I, some of the other students thought I cheated, but I, (laughs) I, um, since I was trying this out, I went on to LinkedIn. I had a lot of chefs that are on my LinkedIn account. And I said, this is what I'm doing. And do any of you have any ideas of how I can marry some, some vegetables together to get a nice flavor combination? And I had several chefs that came forward and said, have you thought of this? And have you thought of that? And, it, you know, and, and different vegetables I had never thought about using, like parsnips sure. and, and, and rutabaga. Caramelize them up, get some flavors. And I took three of the different ideas that different chefs had given me, and I married them all together. And uh, some of the other students said that I cheated. And, and when I explained to Chef T um, and Chef Will what I had done, um, they went back and said he didn't cheat because he didn't take a recipe from anybody. All he did was ask for ideas and he took their ideas and he married them together. Yeah. And we've read all the emails that he got and none of them have a recipe in it. All they did was give him ideas. And so he utilized his network to the best of his ability to come up with being resourceful. You know, and that's all it was. Is he didn't take a recipe from anybody. He just took ideas. That's great. No, that's just using the resources and network, like you said, just to try to get, you know, ideas to add to your own and then make it your own. So that's, you know, that's what every cook does. Right. You know, there's nothing new 
being invented today. Everything's been invented before. No, We're just taking things and putting different things together and putting our own spin on them. A different twist on it. Yeah. And that's all it is. It's a different twist. And we're maybe taking something that is at this level and we're elevating it to this higher level. Right. You know, and that's all it is. So that's good. Now, did you did you graduate? They give you a certificate and it's like a little graduation? We we did graduate. And at the at the end, we were uh, a practical. And um, on that practical, we had to make a hollandaise sauce. I had to sear some meat. Um, to a, um, a medium rare, I had to, I did a vegetable, I had to do a vegetable, but everything we had to do completely from scratch. And we were given one hour to put it all together. And what happens if you don't do well, they, you have to stay in the class and do it and keep taking it again, um, or you don't graduate or you will not uh, graduate if you cannot pass your practical. Hmm, okay. But they do everything in their power to make sure you're going to pass that practical. Because if you're having problems with Hollandaise, they'll pair you up with somebody. I, I got paired up with several people um, to help them do their Hollandaise and how to give them different little tricks that I had learned. That's good. So it's not one, it's not one thing that's gonna, you know, prevent someone from moving on, but they do want to make sure that you have somewhat foundational before they put you out in the workforce. Right. Um, and towards the end, before that practical, we're put in a um, internship. And the internship normally lasts three weeks. And um, my internship ended up lasting seven because I was interned at um, the Rich Carlton Pentagon City. Wow. And the executive chef really liked me. And he put me through my paces. <laughs> um, he would throw so many different things at me. It was just crazy. And I, he was really trying to find a position for me and didn't want to let me go. And um, he, he, he found a position for me. Okay. So what's next for you now? Now that you've got this behind you, you've got that foundational level, you're you know, climbing the career ladder. Where do you see yourself for the next year, five years? What's the ultimate goal here? You know, I really, I enjoy cooking. And even though I'm applying for sous chef positions, I am trying to make sure that I'm still going to stay cooking. I don't want to be stuck in one in an office doing a bunch of paperwork and 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 doing a bunch of numbers. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really want to be out there and I really want to be cooking and I want to be creating. And you know, that's what I see myself doing. It's just really, I'm, I really love what I do. So, what do you would you like to do in the short term? Um, the short term, I'm, I'm learning as much as I can learn. Um, and I'm learning a lot about Mediterranean flavor and um, different recipes and just really trying to kind of put my stamp on a few different things. Are you going to stay in that Washington area, you know, as you climb the sous chef ladder? I do. Right now, I'm, I'm planning on staying here in this Washington area. But that doesn't mean that I'm not open to moving somewhere else. I, um, I had somebody that came in, a, a guest, and... I went out and I spoke with him and uh, he, I cooked what he wanted me to cook and he enjoyed it immensely. And a few weeks later, I, I got a, a message at work that somebody was trying to get a hold of me and I, they wanted me to call them. And I called and it was the general manager of a private club in Minnesota. And the um, gentleman I had cooked for was the president of the board of that private club. Oh. And he wanted me to come out and 
be the chef for their season. And um, their season only lasts uh, for, I think it was like 12 weeks. And even though it was good pay and everything else, I just, what am I going to do after 12 weeks? So there's 52 weeks in a year. <laughs> right, right. And I know the Ritz-Carlton is great for transfers, right? You could transfer within the yeah. Marriott, Ritz-Carlton properties. Within the Marriott and, and all the positions that I, I've applied for are within the Marriott brand. And I, um, I, I, I really love what, um, what Mr. Marriott has built and, and the, the philosophy behind a lot of it. It's just very positive. So this DC Central Kitchen, this job training, sounds really great. Would you refer someone to the program, and and why? What, what would you what would you tell someone about it? I would refer somebody to it because you know it just it helped me so much. Just become such a better person overall. Learning how to handle so many of these you know, barriers that came up and. Um, how to rely upon some of my friends that I made there. It was just a very positive experience. And no matter what you do in life, I, you know, some of the classes of, you know, the, the, you know, just the self-empowerment, um, the professionalism, you know, I, I still to this day, I go back to the school. Really? And I, I, I work with the students and I help mentor them if they're having problems. Um, in my class, I was the only white student. Everybody else was of color. And I go back and, you know, and it, it seems to kind of be a, 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 a thing that there's always one. And, you know, I let them know it's going to be okay. I have donated knife sets to the students that they, you know, they have to do some contests to actually win the knife set to show that, you know, that this is what they really want. And um, I've spoken at graduation ceremonies. Wow. I just, I really believe in the program and I believe in what they do and it can help people. And it's one of those things that I tell people, life really kind of throws us some punches and it can really suck at times, but it doesn't mean that we need to get stuck. We can change and we can change our environment. And if you don't like what's happening, then do something about it. Mm-hmm. Be the change that you want. And there are so many people out there willing to help. You just have to show that you're willing to work for it. And this is not easy. It never was easy. And it never will be easy. But it's very rewarding when you actually work and do the job. It sounds like it's a great program. And if anyone is interested, I could put the link down below to the website. But it's dccentralkitchen.org, you know, HTTP. PS uh, backslash. So you can find it if you want to help. If someone's out there listening that wants to donate, they're always looking for donations and sponsorship, or if you're interested in you know finding out more about the program or how you can help. And I believe there are, there are many different cities now, right? There's not just in DC. They have some version of this in other places as well. Yes, and I you know they are trying to to branch out a lot more. I mean, the way that DC Central Kitchen was first formed. And taking food from restaurants that would normally be thrown away and to repurpose it to help feed the homeless and the hungry. And um, I, I remember hearing um, it was being said that, that could never be done. And it was just, and here it, it has been done and it's been done for over 30 years. Mm. And there's so much good that has come out of this. And they're trying to grow this across the country. And even though it may not be DC Central Kitchen that's involved, there are other 
kitchens that are taking DC Central Kitchen's platform and, and moving it forward. And there are so many good people that are involved with DC Central Kitchen, such as Jose Andreas. Mm-hmm. He has come in and has done so many things with DC Central Kitchen. And now that he has DC World Kitchen and, you know, and he you know, uses that platform to feed people in all over the country and all over the world when disaster hits. And, you know, like when the pandemic hit and people in this area were, they were needing food because they weren't working. Mm-hmm. And he provide, helped provide food for children, for men, for women, for everybody, so that nobody during that pandemic went hungry. If, they, if, they, if you went hungry, it's because you wanted to. It wasn't because there wasn't food out there for you to have, because there was. Right. And at least I can say that in my area, that, you know, we help feed everybody. Yeah, it's a great service and, and a way to give back and community building. And if and listeners out there, I'm sure you know, find something in your area. There's some kind of community, some kind of food bank, some kind of help them with the shelters. Get involved and, and show hospitality any way that you can. Right. Well, as we come to the end of our chat today, before we wrap up, is there any last minute advice or guidance that you want to leave with the listeners? Something that you know you want to share? You know, I, I have this this motto that I've learned to live by, and, and that's never to hide anything of my past, because we're only as sick as our secrets. And I found that when I start sharing those things and start sharing my past, that I find ways to connect with people that I would have never had any other way. And when I don't hide the things in my past, and I've been honest about everything, nobody can come back and use that as a weapon against me anymore. Mm. And it gives you some freedom to to move forward and to move forward with your head held high because we've all made mistakes and we've all done things that we maybe not regret, but wish we would have done them differently because I don't regret any decision I've made. I don't regret anything I've ever done because all of those experiences help make me into the person I am today. Mm -hmm. The person that stands that people come to and ask for advice And I don't give advice. I only give suggestions because it really ultimately is your decision if you're going to do what you're going to do. And I found people who give advice, if it goes right, they try to take credit for it. And it's really not their credit to take. And if it goes wrong, they blame it on you because you must not have done what I said for you to do. But if I just give you suggestions and tell you, this is what worked for me, it might work for you. It might not work for you. But I'll be here to help you as you go through it and hold your hand while you do the work. Because really, that's the only way that you won't repeat things again is if you do the work, not if somebody else does it. So true. Great advice. Now, if if someone wanted to reach out to you or wanted to ask you questions or something or touch base, is there a way that they can reach you? You're on social media. What's the best way? Well, you know, I'm on Facebook and I'm on um, LinkedIn. And, you know, I have no problem sharing um, my email address with people. What we could do is I'll put it in the show notes with your bio and I'll put the links, whatever you need and the information there, the contact information. If there is someone listening that wants to, you know, hear more about your story, someone wants to reach out for employment purposes or someone wants to reach out and find out about, you know, advice going forward or from your experiences, they'll be able to do that. Wonderful. 
Good. And I appreciate, you know, you, you putting yourself out there to someone that can ask questions to or that can come to because, you know, that's, as you mentioned, that's really what it is. It's really hospitality. It's a family. It's we help each other and we all get through this life together. You know, yeah, because if it weren't for people being there to help me, I wouldn't have gotten as far as I did. So why would I not be there to help somebody moving forward, you know, in their life, in their career, you know, even if they're not even wanting to be in food, but there's just so many things that I face in life that I've done wrong and, and, or I've done the wrong, you know, shouldn't say wrong because it kind of was right. It's because I learned a lesson from everything I do. There's a lesson in everything for us. You know, a lot of times, as long as you just don't keep repeating the same mistake over and over again, (laughs) then you're learning. You grow, you change, (laughs) you modify. You're evolving. Well, that is just about all the time we have for this episode. I want to first thank you, John Michael, for coming on the show today and sharing your culinary school story with all of us. I really appreciate, you know, the time that you spent here today, the insight that you shared with us, and your honesty, you know, your vulnerability. Really appreciate it, and I I can't thank you enough. Not a problem. I enjoy being here. I, you know, I enjoy, you know, sharing my experience, strength, and hope with others, you know, so that we can, we can move forward and we hopefully can become a stronger community. Great. Well, thanks again. I really enjoyed the chat. Bye-bye now. Bye. And a big thanks and appreciation also goes out to all of you, the listeners. We hope you enjoy the show and this episode. You all are a big part of this show, so please let us know what you think. Your comments are always welcome, and they help us in making the best show possible. You can email them to culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com. That's culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com. Or even leave us a voicemail at area code 207-835-1275. That's area code 207-835-1275. And if you like the show, we have a big ask of all of you, and that is to share the podcast with everyone you know and to give us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Okay, until our next Culinary School Story, take care and be well. Bye-bye. Culinary School Stories is a proud member of the Food Media Network.